Agencies are setting tentative dates for their employees to return to the office. The dates are part of agencies' wider reentry plans. They were due into the White House for review last week. But many agencies are still fine-tuning the details. And they're still working out how telework and remote work programs will fit into this whole equation. The Office of Personnel Management recently gave agencies some advice on how to handle those lingering telework questions. To help sort it all out, here's Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. And Nicole, let's start with the reopening itself. What exactly do we know so far? So we're starting to see agencies come out with some tentative dates on when they expect reentry to begin. And I think the key word there is begin. Uh, They don't expect all employees to come back at once. You know, some agencies have actually detailed that out. So, for example, you know, we looked at some uh, correspondence that the Agriculture Department sent to its employees last week, and they're eyeing an October 1st reentry date for some, but not all. And they made it very clear in an email that this is the earliest possible date that employees might be expected to come back. And again, they would not be expected to come in all at once. The Labor Department eyeing September 7th as the earliest that half of the workforce could come back into Labor Department buildings uh, with 75% coming in October 7th, potentially, and 100% no earlier than November 8th. And I say all of this, Tom, because we're speaking before the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is about to apparently release new masking guidance uh, for vaccinated people. And so all of this could change. And I think it's why you're seeing agencies kind of couch these dates a little bit by using phrases like no earlier than or tentative. The situation is volatile, in other words, because of outbreak of, I guess, the Delta variant has got everybody wondering what the course should be. It sure does. And, you know, I'll mention one other agency, and that's the Social Security Administration, which is perhaps weathered some of the uh, toughest criticism during the pandemic for not having field offices open to the public except uh, by appointment only. And as of last week, you know, SSA, which does have a new acting uh, commissioner at this point, got more time to work on their reentry plan. And so, you know, they still haven't put out dates as far as we know as to when they're thinking employees might return to the offices at some point. You also have information on Agriculture Department and Treasury. USDA, in explaining their thinking about reentry and telework and remote work, made it very clear that while they have submitted a plan to the White House, individual local offices and subcomponents are planning more specific uh, timelines and and plans and and thoughts around telework and remote work. And so that planning is supposed to continue until mid-August. And I think that underscores something that we're going to see from agencies and one that the Treasury Department seems to be embracing as well. Carol Banks is the Deputy Chief Financial Officer at that department. She spoke recently at the Association of Government Accountants Training Summit. And I think what she has to say here really sums up how agencies are approaching these questions. People think that there's going to be this one day where big bang, everybody's just going to have to report to work all at one time. That's not going to happen, at least not with Treasury. There's a transition. I think the first step is sitting down with each supervisor and staff member and asking them basic questions. What's your preferred work schedule and location? We're going to have to look at um, their preferences, their job duties, and our organizational needs and match that up. There are people who never stop coming into the office because of the work that they do, and there are going to be others 
who may never return to the office. And so I want people to hopefully feel some level of comfort that we're not going to just have this big bang approach that happens all in one day. And that's Carol Banks. She's the Deputy Chief Financial Officer at Treasury. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco and, of course, Office of Personnel Management, which is ostensibly overseeing all of this. They've got some guidance out in telework, remote work. What's going on there? So the story behind this guidance, I think, is that OPM was fielding questions from agencies about, okay, we're interested in expanding telework and offering remote work, that is having employees not come into the office twice per pay period as is technically required right now, but not during the pandemic. We're interested in expanding that, but I think agencies have sort of bumped up against some of the policy guardrails of telework, locality pay, travel guidance, for example, policies that don't really fit a pandemic or post-pandemic world. And so I think OPM is trying to address that. Rob Schreiber is OPM's Associate Director of Employee Services. As agencies start to look at, you know, the workforce of the future and how they're um, recruiting talent, it is exciting that this is a new door that is open that's not previously been available um, and can be part of their strategic workforce planning can help them compete with private sector companies that are already doing this. And certainly what OPM wants to be doing is making sure that you know we have the, the policy structure in place to support agencies as they as they attempt to take advantage and, and recruit in this new way for sure. And that's Rob Shriver, the OPM Associate Director of Employee Services. And Nicole, what stands out to you also about OPM's guidance? So the guidance itself is quite extensive, 38 pages total. Uh, But there are a couple of highlights, I think. And one is OPM instructing agencies to make decisions about telework and remote work based on the job functions themselves, not on managerial preference. And they use that phrase, managerial preference. I think that's telling because it's OPM acknowledging a stigma, more or less, that's existed, at least in recent years, around telework. And I think many agencies have believed that they have broken that that stigma down during the pandemic. But, you know, there might be some holdouts, I think, in the federal government. And I think that's OPM's way of trying to address that. Another interesting point is, I think you're really seeing this, and we saw this in the USDA guidance as well, an effort to treat employees who perform similar jobs in a similar way. So, If you have a human resources function, can all of those employees potentially do their job from home? And then from there, making individual decisions based on employees' own situations at home with family, et cetera. That's another big takeaway from this OPM guidance is telling agencies to treat their employees in in a similar, and they use the word equitable, way. And then as we look toward reopening, whatever that means these days in the face of the Delta variant and, you know, the administration's plans, you know, OPM reminds agencies, employees who fail to comply and they don't have an approved excuse to come back into the office when perhaps their coworkers do, they could face disciplinary action if they just don't show up. And so OPM details how that might work. Uh, They encourage agencies to be really explicit in what they expect and what the guidelines are. And essentially, if you don't show up, you're considered AWOL. You might face disciplinary action and you could be fired for it.
All right. So, yes, you've got to really look at the details. And I just had a question. Maybe you saw this in the guidance, getting back to the idea of treating employees equally that have common job functions. What if a work group decides, and with managerial approval, that, yes, we can do this function remotely, whatever it might be, HR, financial management, but what if there are some people in that group that say, fine, but I'd still prefer to come in? That would be allowed also, I presume. I think so, Tom. And I think that OPM very early on in that 38-page guidance acknowledges that and says, you know, some employees may want to resume their pre-pandemic schedule. And unless I think there's some sort of safety barrier that might prevent them from doing so, it seems as if agencies will allow that. I, I think the bottom line here is that Again, we're not going to see one big recall of federal employees back to the office. And it's really going to be an individualized conversation between the employee, their supervisor, and what their agency has want to see from the organization. So in the meantime, still too soon to buy that big jar of peanut butter you kept in your cubicle. Right. Or maybe office plants as well. All right. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out her extensive coverage of this whole issue at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, 
and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? 
Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.